Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Psychic's Thoughts. We are kicking off season four of my podcasts. Season four, episode one. It's like a new day. Um, we are going to be discussing a topic that has surprisingly, out of the bajillion episodes I've made now, slipped my mind. Once again, it's about video games, but, 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 stick with me. It's about a video game called Nothing. It's about an entire subset of video games, and it's called Mobile Games. Now, you may know them as iPhone games, iPad games, Android games, any kind of game that you could play on a mobile device is a mobile game, right? I think a lot of people are under the impression that mobile games don't matter. But they do. So, first off, I don't play a lot of mobile games as much as I used to. I, I played quite a bit when I was, you know, a teenager and going through in high school, you know, middle school, high school. I played quite a bit. Um, and I have my favorites. And I tried and experimented and learned a lot in that time frame. And I think it's a very interesting market, um, right? And it's interesting how mobile games are being repopularized with the advent of better technology towards smartphones. These things go hand in hand. When an iPhone or an, or an Android phone or any other kind of mobile device improves in its hardware, it allows games to expand. And mobile gaming is at a new region that people, I think gamers my age, aren't really picking up on. And that's okay. It's just something to keep in mind. So, mobile games are pretty simple. In fact, most of you have probably played one, have had one, or have a friend or family member who has played one. What you probably don't realize is mobile games as a whole, in terms of end-year profits for the past five, eight years, make the largest chunk of profit for the video game industry and market above all other devices. So when you split it by device, consoles, PC, streaming, and mobile, mobile always holds it and it's a big margin consoles a second pc's third streaming's last usually i believe last year if i'm not mistaken mobile games had a 57 to 60 percent of the main this doesn't mean concurrent players this doesn't mean the amount of people buying individual games this means the amount of money going into the game. This is just pure dollar amount. Okay? So please keep that in mind as well. You can buy $61 mobile games. Or you can buy one, or download one free mobile game and spend 20 30 spend $20. Oh, it's no big deal. It's $20. I get my paycheck this Friday. Then next month, oh, yeah, another 10 Who cares? Another 5 oh, no. It all adds up. And by the time you're done, you at the price of one new video game. People are more timid to pay $60 or $70 for a new video game. You know, they'll only buy maybe one or two out of the year. 
but they sure as shit will buy microtransactions for video games on mobile. Here's why. Because it's manipulative and it's addictive and it's designed for you, like the slot machine or more common for video games, like the coin-operated games. Your Donkey Kongs, your Galagos, your Pac-Mans at the time, 25 cents, I had no big deal, but you kept getting your ass kicked because the game was extremely hard and you start back from square one, but you know it's all pattern-based so you can overcome it. Great. And actually, From Software follows that, so Elden Ring follows that structure. I do discuss that in my second Elden Ring podcast, so go check that out. But anyway, um, that coin-based operation. But, you know, sooner or later, you're $6 down, $10 down. They're making fucking bank at the time. Yeah, hundreds of kids playing, watching each other, trying to improve, going back and forth at 25 cents each time. That shit adds up pretty quick. Pretty quickly. And those companies kept, I think, almost all of it, and the arcade got a small chunk of it. And that's why arcades at the time in the 80s and 90s also sold food. And often, and especially in the early 2000s, arcades that were coin-operated or ticketed-operated or had a special currency at the arcade, they had other things to do, events, roller skating, whatever, you know. So, bowling. <laughs> Bowling alleys, roller skate rinks often had a few arcade machines. You know what I mean? So it's just one of those things where that was the, the financial structure. So don't be fooled when you think mobile games are the same way. Almost. Now, you know, arcade machines, if we're comparing them, people are like, well, they weren't free to just pick up a play, right? They cost 25 cents, but that's really cheap, people. I mean, at the time, especially people had quarters on them. And when you're going to the arcade, you just buy quarters. You know you're going to need them. So you go there. Pop 25 cents. I, I went to, uh, there's an arcade back in my town right before COVID. And unfortunately, COVID made it close down. I'm so upset about that. I don't even want to talk about it. Like, it really, uh, it's just bringing up bad memories. <laughs> Glitch Arcade. It was a phenomenal arcade. I actually set the record of the Galaga there. Anyway, so it's a, it was an arcade in downtown Palm Springs. And um, it's really fun. They served really good uh, Korean, I believe. I believe it was Korean barbecue. Oh my god, it was so good. The food was phenomenal. It was so good that one time I even just grubhubbed it. Uh, my family was sick, so we weren't feeling up for going to the arcade that night, which is the main reason why I go. I don't go for the food, but the food was great. And then, you know, ordered the, the food out from Grubhub. That's how good the food was. So it was great food. It was There's a bar for those who were old enough. And, um, and, and there was an arcade, and it was a lot of good arcades, machines that worked of high quality, all different kinds, a lot of them, very fun. Not Dave and Buster's, you know. Dave and Buster's more like an, more in the sense of an amusement park, like a Chuck E. Cheese. So... It was really cool. I haven't seen many solely dedicated arcade spaces. That's That was the point. You went to go play games and have fun with friends. It was a great time. Anyway, so... Uh, but it was coin-operated. 25 cents. Not too big of a deal. You know you're going to spend money going into it, right? But, uh, you know, mobile games should be thought of the same way if they're free even if they're not free. Mobile games should be thought of the same way. When you download a mobile game, don't be upset anymore. Just know you're going to be spending money. And think of it almost like 
like that. Now, here's the thing, though. The problem is it doesn't do it in 25 cents a piece. That's why it feels worse than it is. It's not structured the same way. 25 cents gives you another try. That's it. You can't do anything more. You can't put 50 cents in and give two tries right off the bat. You have to put 25 cents in, then you have to try your best, and then you die, and then you have to put 25 cents in again. That's it. Okay, sometimes the prices fluctuate. I know sometimes it's 50 cents. But my point is that it really kept you just straight on the narrow. Even though it was still making you bleed a little money, it was very little, and it was incrementally paced. The thing about mobile games is it's the same structure, except it doesn't give a fuck about that. It will make you spend... It, there are so many mobile games that are like $100 bundles. The fuck? <laughs> yeah, what? A hundred... Okay, I could see myself on my favorite mobile game. One that I, I, I've been playing for five years. I could see myself over the course of those five years, slowly and surely dropping a total of $100 throughout the course of five years. That's not a lot of money when you break it down 12 times five. That's really not that much, Okay. But at once, you're out your damn mind. And I hope that other people know that. My limit when I'm playing mobile games, and when I was at the peak of it, I don't play it much anymore, but when I was at the peak of playing mobile games, I was, at, you know, uh, between the ages of 11 and 16, right? Those five years is when I was at the peak of my exploration and playing mobile games. Um, I, I, first off, I would not buy the microtransactions or currencies of such unless I had money to burn, not to save. Not that I was saving up. If I wasn't saving up for in my general savings, if I wasn't saving up for a n bigger game I wanted or a treat that I wanted, if I wasn't... Uh, and usually when I did spend more than $5 or more than a dollar, it was usually because I had money like iTunes credit from my birthday or Christmas or something. You know what I mean? So it was more justified, at least in my opinion. Still, I always feel bad when I did it. And I, and I have to realize that that's just the mechanic of the game. And eventually I got the hang of it. And I really try to play as long as I can. But the point of those mobile games is they make it so unfun if you don't pay a little. And they make it so fun when you do pay. And they have those microtransaction gamble boxes where you just spend and you hope you get something good. Or they make you pay to build a fortress faster. But you're paying for a conversion rate. You're paying a one buck for a hundred special currency, gems, coins, gold, whatever, in-game currency. You're not buying individual items. And big $60 games started copying this model because it was so lucrative and it made so much money and it worked for so long. It wasn't until EA, of course, got slapped with the Star Wars stuff where bigger games that were at $60 price points were like, oh shit, we're going to get in trouble if we keep doing this. And they saw what Fortnite was doing they pivoted towards that. Making you pay microtransactions for cosmetics, battle pass for looks and cosmetics, which people will do. Look at the fashion industry. Look how many times people will buy Jordans. Even if I already have a new pair of Jordans, they'll buy the next one. Look how many people buy the next iPhone and they don't actually need it. I, I, I try, I try. I try to only buy stuff. If I really want to, I'll, you know, I'll save up and I'll buy it and I'll make sure it's not at the cost or loss of anything I actually need, right? That's first and foremost. I won't buy a video game even if I want it. I will wait. And trust me when I say that waiting process is not fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you want the game. The hype is real. But I try to discipline myself. Mobile games is hard, though. Mobile games purposefully tries to make that harder. 
And if you fall victim to it, you shouldn't feel bad. It's the way they are structured. Candy Crush is one of the most profitable games ever made. Who would have thunk it? It's accessible for one, right? Anybody can download it. Anybody can play it. It's easy. It's simple patterns. And it's fun. People ages 8 to 800 <laughs> could play it and, and get something out of it. However, to unlock more stages or to unlock certain power-ups, sometimes that costs money. And if you're working your ass off to get to that level and you finally clear that stage, a dollar, five dollars, who cares? You got nothing else to do. You're playing the game. You're having fun. Why would you not pay if you're having fun? And that's where the dilemma comes in when we're talking about microtransactions and mobile games. That's why mobile games are so profitable. But the moral of it is, is it right? Now, that's up to you. It is your choice. When you decide to make a purchase, it is solely up to you. It is up to no one else, unless, of course, you're underage. Then maybe your parents need some input on that. But my point is, um, but it's up to you. Right, and if you need help, if you don't, if you know you might not make the best decision, and you want to impart the, or or get some advice and seek help, fine. But my point is, it's your purchase, it's your decision. I don't always make the best decisions when I buy a video game. I very often fuck up in my research. So often, I've gotten so much better now, and because of Game Pass and other avenues i'm able to do it much much less risk-free and not lose nearly as much money in the process but i love video games i love trying new video games as often as i can even if that means i only play it for six to ten hours and there are some games that i really think i know i like but i never know for sure and sometimes it hurts you feel guilty it's buyer's remorse like I spent this much money and I don't like it. Or I didn't play as much of it as I thought I should or would. That's that's life. It happens. Other things get in the way. My metric is if you have fun while doing it, great. If you're getting a steady paycheck or steady income and you can pay all the essentials, you got a little left over, put that left over in savings. And then the rest you have, if you have any left, there you go. There's your, there's your pleasures. You get your necessities, your food, your bills, you know. If you're a music person and you'd go postal and kill somebody without your music, your Spotify, your Apple Music subscription, you know what I mean? I know those aren't essential necessities of life, but they are. In our culture, they are. Wi-Fi, cellular data. Those are necessities in first world countries in America. If you don't have those, you can't access the things you may want to. That's up to you. If you don't find those important, okay, fine. You get to save money there. But most people do. Right? So your bills, your water, and, you know, maybe some, maybe your Netflix doesn't count. Maybe you don't watch Netflix as much. Maybe that's not in there. Maybe that's the other discretionary spending. But, but you love your music. I have to think of this often. If I had to drop all the streaming services and keep three, three main ones, because I have a lot. If I had to keep three main ones, which would they be? And I think for me, it'd be my music streaming. I use Apple Music because I'm weird. Apple Music, I'd keep that, hands down. Couldn't live without it. I'd go insane, people. I'd just go fucking nuts. I also wouldn't be able to access my own music when it drops. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know I have it, but I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be able to share it. And So, yeah. Um, Apple Music. Game Pass. Um, and if I had to pick one of the video streamings, HBO Max. That's right. I said it. Not Netflix. Now, I have others through family, through friends. I have way more than that. And I'm very fortunate for such that I can afford it. I actually have a YouTube premium now. I just ran out of the trial this month. I had the trial for three and a half months, four months, maybe longer. It was great. I just ran out of it. So I saved a lot of money. Um, I'm thinking about it. I'm fine with letting it roll through at least till I'm done with school. So at least till the end of May. One more full good month of it. Then I'll make my decision. I like it a lot. I do like it a lot. I like not getting ads. I like playing it offline. You know, closing my phone and playing it. I like the picture in picture. It allows me to listen and watch my YouTube videos more. It allows me to listen to music more. And that's the key for me. Because there's a lot of music that isn't on Apple Music that I like to listen to through YouTube. But then again, I just keep my phone on in my pocket or I hold it in a certain way. I've lived with that for the past 10 years. I can keep on doing that. I don't need to pay $15 a month. So those are where those decisions come in, right? Mobile games is weird. Mobile games is weird because you start playing them, you like them, and then there goes your money. They are money pits, but are they good money pits? That's up to you. If you only play mobile games, that's a fine investment. If you play mobile games enough, if you're on the go a lot and you don't have a Nintendo Switch or you don't, you know what I mean? Or if you are... I like mobile games. I I move around a lot. I traveled uh, quite a bit before COVID. Um, Mobile games was great. I, I really liked them. They're very hard to find good ones. And I have a very interesting take on what I think makes a good mobile game. I'll get into that in a minute. But I, I'm just trying to hammer home how lucrative it really is. Because it is financially a multi-billion dollar industry. And I'm just... I'm not talking mobile apps. I'm specifically talking of mobile video games, mind you. And, and that's that's where that all that data is coming from. A lot of people play mobile games. And a lot of people know about mobile games. And they're not... They're not under the same ridicule as full AAA or fully produced games. Um, Angry Birds and Clash of Clans and Candy Crush and Fruit Ninja and Name Your Pick are never going to be under the same scrutiny as Call of Duty, as Fortnite, as uh, Name Your Pick, right? They just won't be. They just can't be. They're so accessible. They're designed for when kids get bored to keep them entertained. They're designed for when you're at the airport and you got nothing better to do, right? And some people are like, well, just read a book. Okay, well, yeah, reading a book or listening to your audiobooks, that's fine too. I love doing that too. But I'm just saying, sometimes you want to spice it up. And if you're a gamer like me, you like to play video games and you like to diversify your palate. There are some video mobile games that are in-fucking-credible. And they're incredible for different reasons. 
But when you, if you ever go, I've all, I think I've always had an iPhone. If you ever go through my iTunes purchases and or stuff, you'll see how much I've spent in mobile games over the years. I won't say I'm an addict because I'm not. Uh, nor will I say I've lost a shit ton of money, but I've lost quite a bit of money, but I wouldn't say lost. They were formative years and I used it. Like it wasn't like I just bought it and never used it. If you buy something and you use it to the fullest of its potential for the amount of time you have it, you, if you buy a donut and you eat the donut, you're not going to be, hopefully you're not going to be like, well, that was a bad purchase. I mean, you might feel sick or you might not have actually wanted the donut. That's different, but like, you're not going to be like, well, that was a waste. No, it wasn't a waste in the sense that you actually consumed the product you purchased. Through and through in a transactional sense, you, you're fine. Transactional? Is that a word? Whatever. In a transaction, you ju- you purchased something you were going to use. You used it to the fullest. You were done. So the buyer's remorse comes in on the value and how we weigh things, right? It's very important because it's common in the gaming industry. I've bought so many games in my life and I've played so many games where I've lost time and money because I thought I'd like it and I didn't. And that's okay because I might have had fun for a bit. I might have not actually lost money. I might not have lost that much time or I might have lost a lot of time and money. Usually not too much time. Usually by the time I don't I – re, if I realize I don't like a game, I'm, it's usually five to six hours in, which – just so you guys know, don't freak out. <laughs> I, I don't think anybody would at this point. Gaming, to understand the mechanics of a game, is not like watching a movie or TV show. A TV show by the first, better be, in a TV show by the first three episodes, you understand what you're getting into. At least enough to keep going. You don't have to know the ending, but you just got to kind of know where you feel on it. By the, by the third episode, it's usually a good rule of thumb. If you don't, okay, maybe you're curious to see more. If you then grab you by the third episode. There's a good chance I won't grab you. Now, there are exceptions. The first seasons are often also rough. So, if it's a show that's already been out for a while and the first season doesn't grab you, just try the second season. Because by the time they hit second season, that means they got more funding and more faith in the ability to pull it off. I.e. The Office. Office season one is it's bad. It's just not it's not terrible. It's just not good. It's just, it's eh. Office season two is one of the funniest seasons of a television show I've ever seen, and I never gave it a chance until my girlfriend put a gun to my head and tied me up and made me watch it. And I'm so thankful she did because it's a phenomenal show. So, um, that's a joke, by the way, people. Don't worry, I'm okay. Uh, so my, my point is, when you're, when you're playing a video game, you have to give it more time. My rule of thumb, six to ten hours minimum, uh, depending on the game. Six to ten hours, bare minimum. Twenty to thirty hours is healthy, and you understand the game and or complete the game by then. And then beyond that, if you're playing beyond that, you're enjoying it. Don't think you're not. Doesn't matter how much money you're spending. You're enjoying it. I have logged... I'm embarrassed to say this. I have logged 150 hours in Elden Ring now between two builds. Someone like me, that's, that's a lot of time. It's a lot of time. What else could I have been doing in that time? Not much, really. I'm still making a film. I'm still killing it in college. And I'm still making a rap album. And making podcasts and doing everything else in between. So uh, there's not really much else to do. It's not, like I, it's not like I played Elden Ring and sacrificed time to be doing something else. I'm very, you know, per- speaking very personally at this moment, I, I'm quite well aware and good at my personal time management. Not perfect. I fuck it up all the time. 
all the time. I miss. Um, but I adjust. And I've gotten very... I understand how I flow time-wise. What I need to do. The time I need to decompress. It's very weird. No one else will understand it except me. But that's okay. Because it's what... It's how I function. So what can I tell you? Um... My point is, I, I just know myself well enough to know what time, how much time I sink into something. I will not play Elden Ring. I will not play MLB The Show 22, which I'm playing right now. I'll have a review out on that eventually. I mean, I've actually probably played enough. I played a lot of it yesterday. I probably played. I don't binge many games uh, straight through for long periods, like sitting down once. I take breaks. I go do something else. Or I do it at night, so I play for two or three hours. But three and a half hour, that's my, usually when I max out, I'm like, okay. Some days, I, if it's a new game, if I'm exploring, if I'm having a blast, yeah, I can push it further. But I, on average, after three and a half to four hours, I'm like, okay, I've had enough. I need to do something else. I need a break. I need a breather. I'll watch a show. I'll read a book. I'll write a song. I'll go take a nap, whatever. Or go to bed. <laughs> um, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's, it's kind of like that. I don't, I don't. When I was younger, I used to, I, I could play video games all day. Not all night. I didn't do it all night. Uh, I wasn't that kind of unhealthy. I liked to go to bed and have good sleep. Not necessarily early. I'm a night owl, so I do stay up. But I only stay up when I know I can afford it. That's the thing about time management people don't get. People are like, how do you, how do you balance everything? It's like, because I know how to plan for it. And I have padding for contingency. I know that on this day I've got a film shoot, so I'm not going to be able to game at night. Just how it is, got to shoot my film for five hours. That's fine. I want to. It's my love. I'm working. You know? So I'll play three hours during the day when I have fucking nothing to do. And it confuses people because they're like, well, how are you not at a job? You're not working. But What do you mean I'm not working? I'm working on a bunch of things passively, and then my job is at night. <laughs> I'm a filmmaker. I have a film shoot tonight. I don't have a day job. It confuses people. I do have school, full-time student as well, so it's balancing those things. Anyway, so my point is that, that, that that's a big, big thing, and I think gamers get good at time management. And it, if you are not a full gamer, and by that I mean if you don't play daily or if you don't play bi-weekly or a couple days of the week at least you know everyone has their own terminology i say you're a gamer if you i mean if you love video games you play video games a lot that's usually a good rule of thumb but but what does that mean in a more specific sense i would say if you play you know at least three to four nights of the week three or four days of the week a couple hours you know if you can log about 10 to 15 hours of a week which i know sounds like a lot but it's not uh 10 hours to 15 hours of the week in gaming, yeah, you're probably a gamer. It's, that's quite a chunk of time. That's very consistent. If you have a game console and you only play it one or two hours out of the month, I'm not going to say you're not a gamer, but I'm just not putting you in the category that I'm specifically speaking on. It doesn't mean you're not a gamer. Anybody who likes to play video games is a gamer. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, on my caliber of gamer. And, I, and I'm not, I don't like when people call me names. I don't like when they're like, oh, you're obsessed. I'm like, no, no, no. I just enjoy video games. You enjoy drinking. 
You enjoy movies. I enjoy movies, video games, television, and music. I'm very, very entertainment focused. So um, that's where I spend my time. Not only creating, but consuming. It's what I love to do. So with that in mind, when you're with somebody, when you're significant other, or when your parents, or when your siblings, or whomever you're living with isn't a gamer, in the sense of consistently gaming as much as you may like to, and they don't get it, oh, it's rough. And it's no slight to them. It's not their fault. They just don't have that understanding because they don't do it. It's like the same as if you're not a skater and you have a friend who loves to skate. Those worlds just don't meld because you don't fucking know what they're doing. <laughs> Speaking from experience, I'm a terrible skater. I can't skate for shit. I will die. It's actually against my better health to skate. It's, it's a dangerous thing for me to do. Um, I have nothing against it. I just fucking can't do it, so I just don't. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's I'm just plain. But um, my point is that those things do come in play. And... And the thing about gamers is they're very good at budgeting time. If a bunch of guys who are gamers and they game every Friday and Saturday night because they know that's when they're most free from 9 to 11.30 or later, best not interfere with that time. Every once in a while there's exceptions. Maybe they have a date night. Maybe they a birthday. Maybe they got to do work. Okay, shit happens. But on average, don't, don't interfere with that. That's important. First of all, that's their time. That's the person's girls too. It doesn't matter who it is. Just whomever, whomever you're living with. That's their time. That's their decompression. That's their alone time. That's their that's their enjoyment time. That's their self time. And on beyond that, if they're playing with other people, that's their social time. Much like how people like to go out and hang out with friends. That's that. They just don't do that in the same way, but it's still hanging out with friends. So those are things to keep in mind. Gamers are extremely good at budgeting their time. That's where mobile games fuck the gamers because mobile games don't give a shit. Mobile games don't care. Mobile games know that it's not designed for you to sit and play. It's not Elden Ring. Go get Elden Ring if you haven't played it. It's not Elden Ring. Elden Ring, you can sit down and play it for 10 hours and it's so well made and it's so immersive, you forget where you are. You're like, oh, shit, I'm a human on Earth. Damn, I thought I was in the lands between. You know what I mean? Not a mobile game. You can get into a mobile game, and the good ones, I think, you could probably binge for a couple hours. But no, not not beyond that. I really don't think, personally, for my many hours of logging. So uh, that's where I stand on that. So mobile games are designed to suck your money and time to an extent. So just keep that in mind. But that doesn't make them inherently evil. That's just how they're structured. It's different and it sometimes is evil and sometimes not good but it's okay because there are some beautiful things that can come of mobile gaming when we're not looking at the microtransactions and the bullshit like that so let's get into some of my personal favorite mobile games and why i like them welcome back ladies and gentlemen hope you're doing well i've been having to take breaks in between recording this um because things pop up and I haven't been able to get around to it, so if it's a little fragmented, that is why, but I appreciate you guys coming by. My new album, Dragon's on the Way, my new short film that I've directed, uh, A Way Out, is on the way. So stay tuned for that. Follow me at Psychic34 for more 
info on the content I'm creating. And once again, I appreciate all the support and love. So let's get back into it. Some of my favorite mobile games. Oh, good God, here we go. I'm going from the top here, so let me just... Give me a minute, because I've been playing mobile games for over a decade. So, <laughs> it's a little tricky. Okay, starting with the classics. Can't forget Doodle Jump. Nor could you forget Jetpack Joyride, Fruit Ninja, Angry Birds, um, and so many more that are slipping between the cracks. Um, but those early iOS games from 2008 to 2012, that range, some of the best... Uh, because that was a time where microtransactions might have been there, but they weren't too intrusive. And the games I was playing for the most part at that time weren't too bad on it anyhow. So uh, I was younger, of course, right? I was, I'm was i a 2000s baby, so it's really easy to keep track of my age. Um, so, you know, I was 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So, you know, there was this one called, I, I might get the name wrong, but I'm going to try to explain it. So for those who have played it or who may know about it, you'll get it right. But this is a weird ragdoll physics mountain bike game. 99 cents on the App Store uh, for the iPhone 4. And uh, I think it was still being updated. Up, I, I mean, it might still be out there. I don't know. But basically, you're on this mountain bike. You're trying to do trick stunts. And if you fuck up and die, you're a guy like ragdoll physics in these weird ways. It's very fun. It's very addicting. Um, there's no microtransactions. You just play it. There's a, sh a shit ton of courses. And it's actually really fun. It's a well-made game. You know, so that's one. Doodle Jump. Doodle Jump's legendary. Pocket God. Uh, wasn't that where you have the little, those little guys on the island and you get to fuck around with them? You've got Pocket God and Pocket Frogs. Pocket Frogs. Uh, a lot of you 2000s kids may remember. Um, that was a goaded game because you just collected these dope frogs and you breeded them, which is kind of weird looking back on it. And you made these really cool patterns and you collected stuff. You got to play with them. I thought it was kind of fun. It wasn't, I didn't like dedicate too much time into it, but I liked it for a while. I had it on the iPod Touch in 2011. So that was kind of dope. So yeah, these games are really cool because they were bite-sized, they were fun, they were addicting, and they, you know, you only need to play for 20, 30 minutes. They were good when you were waiting on the doctor, they were good when you are in the car waiting for your parents to come out of Target, <laughs> you know, the, the, those kinds of things, right? Um, and I had an iPod Touch. My parents were, my parents, I think, did the best they could in the emerging age of media, right? The iPhones were coming out as I was a kid. Um, I, you know, I didn't get an iPhone when I was a kid. I, I didn't get a, I didn't get a phone until I was 12, uh, and that was for emergencies. And I think that's the right way to do it. I'm on my phone 24/7 now, mostly because that's my business. <laughs> the psychic stuff is all online, right? I write a lot, and I don't have time, and I'm not as dexterous to write in a note book as much as I'd like to. I have done it. I know how to, don't get me wrong. And I do it occasionally, but I do prefer to type. And and I've gotten really good at typing on my phone. And it I have iCloud backups and then I do physical backups. So all my ideas for films, all my concepts, thoughts, theories, songs, albums, everything is done on my notes on my phone. <laughs> and it's a lot. It's 500 notes. Um... You know, some of them are 10, 15 pages long if you were to export as a PDF. So my point is I do a lot on my phone. 
you know, and, and don't worry, I'm, I, I know people are like, well, what happens if your phone dies? What happens if you lose all your data? I'm not an idiot. I back it up physically to multiple hard drives uh, every few months, right, every three, six months. And then I also have an automatic iCloud backup, and I am willing to pay the price for that. I'm willing to pay for this uh, Apple subscription to get me some extra iCloud storage. That way I just know it's the most important data is immediately saved just in case I don't get around to backing it up physically. So don't worry, I protect myself to the best of my ability. Um, and then I also send copies to my loved ones and close friends. So that way, in case something happens completely, it's on their device. So if you're a writer, if you're a rapper, if you're a filmmaker, if you do any kind of creative content and you create stuff on your phone or any electronic device or anything really, notebooks or whatever, always make sure you have a copy of it somewhere else and diversify where the placement is. Have multiple hard drives, one SSD, one actual hard spinning disk. Have them in different locations. Have them backed up on different time frames and have iCloud or whatever kind of backup cloud system you want. The cloud is okay. It's not the end of the world. It is encrypted. It's not perfect. It's, it's not foolproof and it's not it can't do everything right, but it's good enough for what I need. So just keep that in mind when you're keeping yourself secure uh, in terms of your data because this is a lot of content I'm producing and it would kill me if I lost it all. Uh, but I make sure that I, I don't lose it all. So with that being said, um, this is how I do a lot on my phone now. And, um, you know, I'm also long distance with my, with my girlfriend and I move around a lot. So most of my friends are online, you know, so regardless of the COVID era, regardless of the popularity of social media, which I know I'm on too much, but, uh, regardless of all that, I've always been online and plugged in and utilizing it as a tool. However, I try to use it as a tool more than I use it as entertainment. I still use it as entertainment, probably more than I should, but I th I'd like to think that it's 75-25. 75% things I have to do, you know, texting my loved ones, you know, keeping in touch, you know, FaceTiming my girlfriend, just general things because I can't see them in person because I'm in a different place right now. You know what I mean? And then, and then, um, Writing ideas, writing songs, writing films, uh, journaling, keeping backup logs, and doing all that stuff. And then social media marketing and promoting and researching stuff and, and reading on, up on articles and all that. That's, you know, most of that's done on my phone. Sometimes on my computer, but most of that's done on my phone. It's just more convenient and it's quick enough and, and, I, and it's on the go. So um, that's 75 60 to 75% in a given week of my time spent on my phone. And so when people look at me and I'm on my phone, first off, I try to be respectful, right? I'm not going to just pull out my phone unless there's an emergency if someone's talking to me, right? Um, you know, or unless they, in, I mean, if we're close friends and you know I'm going to just check my phone every once in a while to see if, you know, my loved ones are texting me. You know, that's different, but I, I try to, let people know that I'm not distracted by my phone from them because I do care about being there in the, in the moment. You know, when I'm walking, um, which I do a lot of when I walk back and forth to class intentionally, 
I know this is a side tangent, but it does have to do with mobile devices, so it's somewhat related. Um, but I just want to give you guys a little history on how I use my phone for those who may be interested, because I think it's something that should be noted. Um, but yeah, when I'm walking, you know, I, I don't, I have my car, and I, and I love to have it here, but I, I don't want to drive four minutes, uh, waste the gas, waste the time to park, and all that energy, and risk dying, because <laughs> it's, it's dangerous even just for four minute stretches, um, if I could walk, because I don't get a lot of direct exercise, and I know I should be better about it, but I'm not, so, my exercise is walking back and forth to class, and it's a huge fucking campus, so I'm burning a lot of calories, so I'm staying, I'm staying lean, um, getting my leg workout for the day, and my back workout, because I'm carrying 30 pounds on my back, so, it's not a lot, but it's something, keeps me at least trim, and, um, of course, rapping. Rapping's an exercise if you're doing fast lyrical rap like I do. It's definitely a fucking exercise. So, anyway, my point is, um, I don't pull out my phone. Uh, very rarely. If someone's calling me, maybe, you know, check a text here and there, write an idea down real quick, sure. But other than that, the only time I pull out my phone when I'm doing these long walks is to turn on my music. Or maybe switch my playlist over. That's it. That's the only reason, uh, other than the occasional important text message phone call. Sure, you know, i got to look at my phone to take the answer or take the call, see who it is. But other than that, I'm not playing games. I'm not swiping through social media when I'm walking uh, to and from. You know, now if I'm stationary and I'm just standing somewhere waiting for someone, that might be a little different. But, but for the most part, I don't like to do that. Here's why. I like to look and observe. I like my music to drown out the noise and... To help, just, I like music, it's therapy, and then I like to watch people, and observe, and watch nature, and just enjoy it, and soak it in, yeah, I, I find that kind of calming, so, you know, it's only 20 to 30 minute walks, but, you know, I do that once or twice a day, uh, four to five days of the week, that's quite a lot of walking, and I, I, you know, I'm on my phone enough, so I don't need to be looking at it like that, and it's dangerous, there's cars, there's people, and I see so many people just looking down, walking, talking, on their, just looking at their phone the whole time, and that's fine. I, I, you know, it's just personally not what I would do, but that, you know, to each their own, maybe they don't use it as much in their house. They probably don't, right? I use it a crap ton. So, anyway, that's just a little side note, because it's kind of important when you think of it, because I was raised in the era of these amazing smartphones coming into the consumer's market and the things that came with them and the pros and cons to them can be detrimental. Now, I think the pros outweigh the cons, but I think like all things, it's a balancing act and you just have to know yourself. Uh, you know, some people, my parents might say I'm addicted to my phone. I don't blame them. I probably am. I'm very dependent on it, not for happiness, not like, I need it to check in on my friends. No, I need it because it's my tool. It is the all-in-one encompassing multi-tool that I have that isn't my Swiss Army knife <laughs> that allows me to journal, allows me to write my ideas down, allows me to communicate and promote my psychic business and content, allows me to, uh, you know, keep in touch with my loved ones. It's very important to me to be able to do that and to have access to that, you know? So I'm very 
rigorous about that. And I also try not to buy a new phone every year. I don't care about all the specs and features. I just want two things out of my new phone. I do like to keep it in the iPhone family since that's the ecosystem I'm in. But the two things I look for is improved battery and faster CPU. Usually improved battery is the main reason why I'll get a new phone. So, you know, I got the, uh, I had the iPhone 6 for a very long time. It was barely working. It would die in 30 minutes, and that's when I was starting my psychic stuff. So it was just, it was too much of a tedious task because it became, because it's now my job to utilize this. It's how I keep up with social media. It's how I do what I'm doing. I'm recording this podcast on my mobile phone, people. That's what I'm talking about. That's a business. That's a production creative output. I'm not swiping through TikTok right now. I stopped playing MLB The Show to record this, <laughs> which I'm about to record a podcast on that, so stick around. But anyway, um, so you see my point, and, and by the way, I, I don't do that to skim off the quality, it's just because I, it's the most accessible way for me to record podcasts, because I don't know when and where I can in between my busy schedule, and I like to. So this is the most available and accessible way for me to create it. And, you know, I appreciate everyone who comes by and listens. So anyway, that's how I used it. And I didn't get a phone. I had an iPod Touch, right? And that allowed me to play music because I had the original iPod, the 80 gig one, you know, the, with the dial on it, which is kind of cool. Um, and... I, uh, so I, I, from that point, I then got the iPod Touch, right, which had the general SMS, the messaging system, if you're on Wi-Fi. Um, I think I got the one that could call, but I didn't have a cellular catcher, so it wasn't, couldn't actually make calls. I, I don't remember. Um, but I mostly, <laughs> I was 11, okay, 10, 11 when I got it. It was a nice little gift my parents got me because they realized everyone else had phones. <laughs> a lot of my peers had iPhones, like the iPhone 3 or 4 at that time. I think the iPhone 3 was out, the second edition of that. So a lot of people had that and could make calls and do all the things because it had a little better battery. It had more horsepower behind it. You know, it was the Mac Daddy. And I, I don't think I complained too much about that. I, don't, I, I was not in a hurry to get a phone. I didn't care. You know, this is right before I moved, so I was still living in the same place. I was, you know, I didn't didn't have a long-distance relationship, didn't have an online business, so none of that mattered to me. Uh, but it was really cool because I got to play my music. I've always been, I've always wanted access to my music. The easiest way I can access music, I will always find. Um, and then I got to play games. I'm a gamer. My parents know this. I've been playing video games since I was five. Now, mind you, I was raised in the classics, Pac-Man, Galaga, Donkey Kong, Dig Dug, etc. And I will smoke you at Galaga. Unless you're a tournament player or unless you are uh, an old fart who plays Galaga day in and day out, um, I will smoke you in Galaga any day or night on, a, on an arcade machine. Not on an Xbox, not a, none of that bullshit. I mean, yeah, actually, probably there too because I'm pretty good with the patterns, but no. Give me an arcade cabinet and I will, I'll go ham. I've set more records in Galaga on Galaga in arcade rooms on the few I've been to 
than any other high score record I could set somewhere. So, yeah, come at me. 1v1 Galaga. It's, it's over. Don't try it. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But anyway, my point is, um, so I was raised on the classics, right? And I'd played my first full console console was the GameCube. It's goaded. It's one of the best consoles ever. Don't fight me on it. I do have a podcast episode about the GameCube, so go check that out when you can. And then, um, uh, you know, but in, at the same time, in between, I was, I was, my friends had these mobile games, and I saw them, and I started downloading some of them on iPod Touch. And that was at the time when these games were 99 cents. When you're 11 and a small mobile game is 99 cents, you already have a GameCube at home, yeah. Good luck convincing your parents to get a game. Uh, every once in a while, you know, you get that iTunes money if you're lucky. Or just cash in general. Or your parents may be generous and understand. So every once in a while, you get a couple games and, you know, over the course of a month, you get one game, maybe. And you're like, holy shit, <laughs> I got it. And at the time, these games were not dull. They weren't free-to-play games, sort of. So you could actually really sink some time in them and have fun. Um... So, the quality was much higher because the quantity was much lower. And they needed people to stay and keep playing them. And they needed to not get sued. If they're charging you a dollar, better be worth it. It better be four, four, four attempts at Galaga worth it. Which, if you're good at it, that could last you a long time. You give me four attempts in Galaga and I could be on the arcade machine for about 80 minutes. That's what I'm saying. Like, I could play that long, and Galaga is that in-depth with its levels and stages and patterns. Not complex, in-depth. So, that's how those games are designed. Doodle Jump? I think that thing goes on forever. I don't think that game ends. <laughs> you know, Pocket God is more a casual simulation thing. But my point is, those things are designed with depth, even if they're not the most complex. Easy to pick up, easy to play on a mobile device. Low computing processing power easy to to control you know because the hardware limitations fun and very very simple in its design but in depth in its uh range of how long and how much you can get out of it that was the design for like five years and it was great and more games started coming on the market you know and some of them ranged some of them ranged for 99 cents now, usually you got the light version, the free version, L-I-T-E version. So instead of paying 99 cents, you, you download it for free, you play it, you get maybe three stages. It's very scaled down, doesn't have all the features unlocked, and if you want it, you have to buy the full game. But you know that going into it, and it lets you try it. So you get an idea of the gameplay mechanics, and if you don't like it, you don't buy it. It was a demo, and actually a pretty good one. Some of the games... Didn't understand how that worked, the devs, because the gameplay loop is all you're in it for. And if the gameplay loop isn't changed, who cares? <laughs> there, I, there are some games I just had the light version of, and it was plenty. I didn't need to buy the full version. The full version just had some extra cosmetics or something, or stages I didn't give a shit about. So sometimes you lucked out. But that's, uh, that's the early stages of mobile gaming. It was a pastime, and it was casual. Right, and it was fun, and, I, and I'm naming I'm naming a lot because from 2010 to, to uh, 2008 to 2012 was this the first wave and surge and all kinds of games, and they're all good for different reasons, and some of them were terrible. 
But now let's get into the explosion from between 2010 and 2012 and on, right? Let's really peer into that and some of the games that really stood out and changed the mobile gaming industry forever. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you're doing well. Oh, uh, I forgot to mention those weren't the first mobile games ever. I probably should have stated that. The first mobile games were... Shit, I don't even know how long ago, to be honest. I wasn't born. But, um, yeah, you know, got some really simple ones. Snake and, and Brick and, you know, really simple puzzles or pattern-based uh, arcade-style games on the BlackBerry and on phones before iPhone, before the smartphone. So that's my bad. There are mobile games before that, but I'm talking about the modern mobile game and how we see it now on the App Store, on the Android, on the Google Play Store, elsewhere where you, you, know, you buy it or download, and it's actually a very lucrative industry. As I explained earlier, the mobile marketing industry is 60% of the income for gaming industry as a whole. 60%. Think about that. That's the reason why so many devs try to make mobile games, because A, it's a fuck ton cheaper to make a mobile game, even if it's the Call of Duty mobile game. It's not a cheap mobile game compared to other mobile games, it's probably one of the biggest budgeted ones, but A, coming from Activision Blizzard, that don't mean dick to them, and then B, um, it's not that expensive, it's, it's probably 500 times less expensive, I'm going off the top, I don't actually know the numbers, but I'm just saying it's probably way, 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 way less than an actual full AAA Call of Duty game, and they can put microtransactions in, and it's free to play. And I'm going to be honest with you guys, that Call of Duty mobile game is really, really fucking good. Because it, I mean, it's designed flawlessly for a mobile game. It runs buttery smooth. It's super fun. It's very addictive. I download it on and off. It's, it's very well made for a mobile game. I'm, I'm amazed by it, to be honest with you. But we'll get into that in a minute because that's a new change in the mobile gaming industry. And kind of what sparked this idea of making this podcast episode, actually. But before I get into that... Let's start with the first major, major success. Plural, successes. So you got your more casual games. Doodle Jump was doing well. Jetpack Joyride, I think, came out after Fruit Ninja. Fruit Ninja came out and took over the world by storm. So you had games like that. Simple, fun, really, really well made. Then we had this transition where you saw more and more 3D graphics and realism squeezed into bite size, more cartoonish form, maybe. And and we saw the introduction of microtransactions in the process. Okay, but before we get into... I mean, they're not all the same. All of them are unique and different. But let's talk about between 2011 and 2012. We have three main games. Unless I'm getting my dates wrong. If I am, I apologize. I did look up one of these games, but I'm pretty sure I know the other two. I believe Angry Birds came out in 2010 or 2011, but I'm throwing that in here. So Angry Birds, Clash of Clans, and Candy Crush. Those three games came out in a two-year span apart from each other. All of them. Well, these franchises that were introduced. And let's just put it this way, fuck, folks. Um, I almost said fucks. Apologies. <laughs> you know you swear too much when you accidentally call people fucks. I didn't mean to. Um, guys, the, these three games are the biggest mobile games ever. There's not many others that compare to it in terms of downloads and in terms of concurrent players and in terms of monetary gain. Um, 
Hell, one of them spawned uh, two, f- two films after it, and another one just got bought up in an acquisition that's the largest video game acquisition of all time, and one of the largest acquisitions in general of all time. So, um, if you think Microsoft bought Activision Blizzard for Overwatch, Diablo, StarCraft, World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, um, and other things like that, you're wrong. They bought it for Candy Crush. I'm kidding. They bought it for those other things too, of course. But they, they really did... They want money. Candy Crush is the... Candy Crush and Call of Duty is their two return on investments. Everything else might break even or make some money, but those are the two things that are the return on investment in a very short time frame. Candy Crush makes over a billion dollars a year. More than that. Call of Duty makes over a billion dollars a year. Or more. On top of everything else. Activision makes, like, I think they net $18 billion a year. If I am not mistaken. And that's low. That's their low point right now. They're at an all-time low. I think at their peak, they were making like 26 to $30 billion net a year, if I'm thinking of this correctly. I did look it up after the acquisition. Anyway, so um, my point is Microsoft will make their money back no problem in, a, in the next 5 to 10 years. So don't stress that. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to be honest, I don't know if this acquisition will go through. It looks like people, the government's going to try to see what what the fuck's going on. But I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't agree with monopolies or acquisitions of this scale and size. I don't think it's good. But I do think of all the companies, I think it is good for this one. Activision's a terrible company. Activision Blizzard, the shit in China and Hong Kong, the shit that they do to their employees, the sexual misconduct, the toxic workplace, the low pay... They had employees of Blizzard, the people who make Overwatch, Diablo, World of Warcraft, some of the longest-running, most popular games in the world. They can't afford to, couldn't afford to feed their family, and some of them had to sleep in the cars overnight just because uh, the COVID stuff. Um, they lost their houses or stuff, and they weren't being paid enough to compensate. And they're they're being paid by the largest and one of the most successful video game publishers of all time who have a fuck ton of money. Enough money to pay everybody better than almost any pay salary out there. So I have a lot of issues with Activision Blizzard. Microsoft's no saint. They're not perfect. But in terms of their game development side, in terms of Xbox and all the Microsoft gaming under Phil Spencer, that's that facet. I'm not talking about Microsoft as a whole. I'm not talking about Windows, PC, none of that shit. I don't care about that for this. This just purely Microsoft's gaming. They're doing a pretty good job. They they own too much. They're going to stretch themselves thin in terms of actual management, I think, but whatever. If Disney can do it, maybe they can too. I don't know. But what I do know is they do pay better. They do have good healthcare benefits. They don't have a toxic workplace that we know about. It could probably get toxic in between individual studios. It's probably not perfect. But it's not inherently toxic. And it's not, there's not a rape culture that we know of. I, I don't know. We don't know. Maybe there is, but hopefully there's not. It doesn't seem like there is. So, you know, if we heard like Phil Spencer, who seems like a great person and is doing the best he can, 
If we hear he's doing shit like Bobby Kodak, then then we know, okay, what the fuck? I mean, that would be a surprise to the world. I mean, almost everyone, even if they don't love Microsoft, even if they don't love Phil Spencer or don't agree with him, they respect him. They respect what he's been able to do in the past five years and how much integrity he carries for himself and all of Microsoft's gaming division. You know, he's a very respectable stand-up guy, and he seems like he really cares about gaming and gamers in the industry. He really seems like he's doing the best he can with what he has, and he has a lot, so it's a lot he's doing. If, he, if it came out that he did shit like Bobby Kodak, the CEO of Activision Blizzard, uh, that would be a very, very big surprise. It, it was, it's, it's so heart-wrenching to hear what Bobby has done, and that he, personally, I think he should be, if, if it's proven that he actually did that, I, I, I don't know if it's, in a, if it's just a, accusations or if it's lawsuits, I don't know the, the depth of it, I've only read a little on it, on his scandals, but if it's all true... He actually did that, and it can be proven. Fuckers should go to prison. You, you don't rape and sexually harass multiple women and create a workplace that is just turns a blind eye to that. You don't do that. It's the most horrendous thing. One of the most horrendous things somebody can do to another person. So, you know, I think... I don't think he should get a golden parachute out of that company. I don't think he should get a $200 million signing bonus. I don't think, uh, none of that bullshit. I think he shouldn't get, he shouldn't get any more money. He has enough and he should go to prison. That's my personal opinion on that. What a fucking despicable person. Um, so Phil Spencer's a pretty stand-up guy. I'm not saying he's perfect for what we know, you know, who knows, but... Um, so if that came out and he did that, that'd be a shock to the world. Bobby Kodak, however, when, when we heard that, as unfortunate and horrid as it is, we weren't, I wasn't too terribly surprised. I was surprised that it was happening, but I was just, I, you know, it wasn't like, oh my God, not this guy, you know, where, where I think I would react differently as Phil Spencer. So my point is Microsoft has a better workplace environment, and it seems like it's going to be a better thing for Activision um, if the merger goes through. And quite frankly, I hope it does for that sake. Um, yes, I have Game Pass. Yes, I, I as a consumer may benefit from that, but I, I'm not too worried about that. That's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the freshness and hopefully um, the reinvigoration in some of these franchises that have been lost to the wayside. But I, I just I just hope that, you know, I, I think that the, the employees and the culture of that uh, huge industry of Activision Blizzard, that company, I, I think it's going to be better for them. Uh, the people working there, and I think that's what matters most uh, of all the things that could have happened. Otherwise, Activision would have just kept doing the same thing. And it just would have stayed the same. The culture stays the same. But when you get adopted into, acquired into an entire new culture, sure, some of your ways may stay, but if they stay too long, you get chopped. So you better fucking fix it. You know what I mean? You're forced to adapt quickly, and it's going to be rough. And a lot of people are unfortunately going to lose their jobs who maybe don't deserve to. That's what happens when these things go down. It's unfortunate. So uh, that's my stance on that real quick. I, I do have a whole podcast episode on the day of when that was announced, that merger, the acquisition. Sorry, not merger, not merger. It's an acquisition. Um, but yeah, that's just my quick take on that, my five-minute take on that. Um, so, but Microsoft, with that, I mean, Activision Blizzard owned Candy Crush, which I didn't know. That's that's impressive. So um, now they own that. 
So Candy Crush, Clash of Clans, and Angry Birds are some of the largest, most profitable mobile games in the industry. They did have microtransactions, though Angry Birds was like a dollar. Candy Crush and Clash of Clans are free, but they had some of the most egregious microtransactions you will ever see in a mobile game, and they still do. And people still love it and play it, because here's why. They're actually really well-designed games. If they weren't, people wouldn't keep playing them, and people wouldn't buy shit from them. Now, I think it's a little much now, especially nowadays. I think Clash of Clans, I don't think we need the gems to buy now to speed up the building process. And I don't think the building process should be that long. I think you should cut that in 25 to 50% down and make or make the gems less expensive just for that. You know, or at least, and, and or 20, how about this? This would be a good balance for anyone who plays Clash of Clans. You might understand this. So in Clash of Clans, let me just explain the game real quick for those who may not know. It is a massive, and I mean massive. I think there's over... 50 million people who have downloaded the game. Probably more. I don't know how many people play it, but let's just... It's its a billion-dollar game um, for a free-to-play game. It came out in 2012. It's phenomenal. I played it for a long time. It's a very well-made game. It's a tower... It's a town-based building tower defense game. Kind of hybrid. You know, you build your town up. You get resources, gold and elixir and stuff. You build troops, unique troops. You take over other people's places. You get rewards... And you protect your own. You build up your defenses. It's very simple. It's extremely fun. It has its own unique art style. And it spawned a whole franchise for the Clash franchise. we got Clash Royale. We've got three new Clash games in development. And it made Supercell uh, a mainstay in the mobile gaming market. They're, they're owned a majority by Tencent, by the way, who I mentioned in the Epic Games thing. The mega Chinese conglomerate that owns fucking everything. They own the majority share of Supercell. So keep that in mind as well. Um, so, but to build, you need, there's always the premium currency in these free mobile games. It's that f- the premium currency you have to buy, you can buy packs of with real money. Okay, fine. Um, except it's just, I mean, it's fine if you really want that. It's a free-to-play game, so I, the developers got to make their money. But here's where the trick is. How much do you make people pay or feel like they need to pay? And they're targeting kids, right? It's a kid's game. And that's where it gets a little unhealthy and fucked up, in my opinion. Okay, so when you build a building, at first it's really quick, and the tutorial allows a little leeway. So, you know, your first hour of playtime to two hours isn't too bad. It starts to scale up dramatically. By the time you hit Town Hall 8, which is like level 8 for your entire town, by the time you build that, that takes like takes over 24 hours to build. Now, most reasonable people put down the game, go play something else. Most people don't play mobile games consistently that long. However, if you're a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old, at the height of mobile gaming industry, you're playing this game on your phone in bed, or you're playing it on your iPad, or right, because these games are on iPad too, which is a big market. Um, or your Android device, I'm not as familiar with them, but, you know, your tablets and such. You're playing them on your mobile devices. You might stay up, you might not. Who cares? The point is, you were playing it semi-consistently. But the thing about kids is they're impatient. And Supercell knows this. Everybody knows kids are impatient. That's not hard to figure out. That's where it gets unfair. That's my problem. You know? Because 
either reduce the gym's cost or reduce the time or do both if you're really fair but reduce the time on the buildings by half on all of them scale it down and don't make the first five levels any gyms just make it relatively quick so people can play and have fun I wish the whole game was kind of like that, but I guess you'd breeze through that because it does take time. I'm fine with a few days at the max, but like when you get your town hall to like level 10, it's like 30 days or something ridiculous. Maybe they scaled it down, but it got, it got, it got ridiculous real quick. And the gems cost more the higher the, the time frame is. So it costs like basically equivalent. It costs a couple bucks just to immediately have it built. And for kids... Are you shitting me? You think they're going to wait 30 days to come back to the game they play because they can't use that building anymore or they can't fully use the functionality of it. And then the kicker was for their armies, to train their armies, it took... Now, that never took days. That took maybe 30 minutes to an hour to, to restock your army supply so you can go and invade people and actually play the, the offensive side of the game. Um, that... No, that's... I mean, that's more reasonable, but then you could also speed it up with like, oh, only five gems. So my point is it was pretty egregious because it really manipulated kids. Because kids don't play games long term like that. Not that age, not on a phone or an iPad. They won't say, oh, okay, I'll come back tomorrow. Probably not. I mean, some of them might. I did. You know, the only time I spent money in Clash of Clans is when I got that birthday money. And I didn't, and I didn't plan on spending it anywhere else, like for an actual video game or save, putting in my savings or whatever. You know what I mean? So when I use that five, ten, twenty-five dollars or something, uh, you know, to treat myself, I, I'd use it on iTunes. I maybe buy an album, maybe buy a movie, and uh, maybe buy a new game or just buy some microtransactions for a game I was in love with. So you know, to each their own. But my point is, it was just a little too manipulative, and it still is still that way to this day and I feel like the game's been out long enough and enough people played it maybe they could scale it back a little bit we don't even play that game like that so Clash of Clans took over the world Candy Crush I don't play Candy Crush never have but I do know it's a very addictive puzzle game and to get to the next stage you just have to pay <laughs> like it's at a certain point yeah you just have to pay some that's that's ludicrous to me that's beyond ludicrous and then power-ups you can pay for i mean that game is one of the most profitable mobile games because it's so fucking ludicrous and it's it's very addictive it is lottery slot slot machine casino gambling level addiction is designed in the structure of that game because our brains love patterns and color coordination and when we're rewarded for that with these nice pops and oohs and ahs and special effects from something, from a light puzzle that we've accomplished, it's firing off three different, uh, you know, rece receiving ends of dopamine, of a rewarding feeling to our brain. The pattern, you know, connecting the pattern, you know, that always feels good. Hell, I... I Talk about that in my MLB game. I started pinpoint pitching setting in this MLB game. Super fucking difficult, but when you land it, oh my god, it's so satisfying. It's more, way better than what I was normally using. Uh, I just changed it last night because I was too scared to use it. Now I realize, oh, I'm just shitty at it, but I'll learn, and I actually like this setting more. You know what I mean? So patterns, colors, that helps with that. And then the rewarding sound effects, and the fact that you figured out something. You did a sm small problem-solving thing rewards the brain heavily it's very addicting that's why i've never downloaded it i know i could probably get addicted by that because i'm an idiot so 
yeah, just it's not really my kind of thing anyway. So that's huge. And then Angry Birds, a little different, a little earlier than these games. So it had a little different of a model. Now there's a hundred million new types of Angry Bird games, but the original one, 99 cents. Pull back, you shoot your bird. It's a puzzle game. Real simple, real fun. Had microtransactions way later in the game. One too bad. Anyway, these games were very popular. Angry Birds, of all of them, were the only one to spawn an entire movie franchise. So that's kind of cool. I haven't seen the movies, but I heard they're pretty cool. So I might check them out. I heard they're pretty funny and entertaining for a kid's movie. So, you know me. I like my movies. I don't care if they're kids. I don't care if they're dogs. I'll watch any kind of movie. Um, okay, so those are the big three that propelled the market into free-to-play, microtransaction-based. A lot of games had copies. You see a lot of low-quality shitty games. You see a lot of new kinds of games. You got sports games. You got every kind of game in under the sun. But 3D graphics fully played on mobile devices is hard. And anything like first-person shooters like a Call of Duty type is very low-grade and hard to perform properly. So it wasn't really attempted. And that's the thing. I mean, I think that's kind of, you know, it stayed relatively scaled back. And those are the games I usually prefer anyway. But there was one notable standout. So I'm going to talk about any, everything from like 2012 to 2018. Here we go. So after Angry Birds and... Clash of Clans, and Candy Crush, and Fruit Ninja, and Jetpack Joyride, and Doodle Jump, and Pocket Gods, and this and that, and every other kind of big game that I'm missing. And these studios went on and made other games. There are some other notable games. One that took over the world was 2048. Still a super fucking fun game. Highly recommended if you're into puzzles. It's a very simple puzzle. It's more pattern-based than actual number-based, but I don't care. I'm better with patterns anyway. I really liked it. I don't think there are any microtransactions, so it was really fun. And Ketchup Games became a studio because of it. A very, you know, started churning out some pretty cool games. Not all of them, but some. Anyway, mobile gaming market ebbs and flows. There's some big, big AAA games. The, the nice 3D graphic asphalt game loft. Everything from them, you know. You had all these kinds of games from really high intensive graphics. And part of the thing is, how much storage does it take up? Because your phones only have so much storage, and you got to be mindful of that. And it also chews on your battery. So it, those are things you got to balance when it's a free-to-play game and you know you're not spending any money if, you're, if, you're, you, know, if you control yourself enough. So that's part of it. Um, but yeah. So like... Uh, here are some games that really stood out to me. And I, I downloaded these ones and played them on my iPad at the time, which I think improved the quality of the experience because bigger screen, easier to control, didn't have as many other things on it, right? So uh, I wasn't worried about storage or battery. So Infinity Blade. I mentioned this earlier. My Epic Games it was made by them. I didn't realize that till recently. It was not free to play. It was a dollar, or two dollars actually, two to three dollars, um, worth every penny. 
one of the best mobile games I've ever played in my life. It's so good that I, I was upset that they didn't make it into a full AAA game. Or at least a AA game or whatever. Um, that game is just... I, <laughs> It was the Dark Souls of mobile games, if you could think of that. Now, it wasn't like you could fully move at your own will. You went from point A to point B, kind of on rails, but a little more fluidity in between third-person RPG knights fantasy modern fantasy there's really unique art design you won't find anywhere else full cinematic cutscenes with dialogue and voice acting and it was like a chunky game there's like six hours worth of gameplay and the second one and third one only made it better improved on graphics improved on gameplay precision improved on upgrades and, and stuff and uh, there weren't many microtransactions it was just for a few rare items that you didn't really need unless you really wanted them. So that was good. And you play through these elaborate bosses and you have you slash by, you know, swiping on your thing. You do patterns and combos for special moves and you swipe and you move here and there and you tap here and here. And it's not the most complex, but it's complex for a mobile game at the time of 2012. And it was really well done with beautiful graphics, incredibly unique art design that I haven't seen in other games. It was very popular too it was a two dollar game that a lot of people were buying and playing the sequel came out i think a year or two later it expanded it had a new upgrade system you could upgrade your weapons or you could find you actually had more weapons to find way more there are more bosses and fights and just such an incredible game and then the third one was great too it was only improvement on that the story wasn't as good i think the second one was by far the best but there was more gameplay more upgrades and then you know, they, they quit after that. I don't know why. Uh, I don't remember when the third one came out. I think it came out in like 2014 so it was, or 2015, so it was a little later. Um, Epic Games went on to go make Fortnite, and so that's kind of why they stopped caring about that. But the weird thing is you can't buy the game on the, on, the, on the store anymore, and if it's not downloaded already to your device, you can't. I don't think you can even re-download it even if you purchased it, which I think is fucked up. It's a single-player game. Why is it off the App Store? I, I need to look into it, I guess, because it's a single-player game. If I paid 2 3 and $4, I think they went up a dollar every time they came out. I bought all three. If I bought all three, if I want to play them, which I did, I wanted to go back and revisit them and see what they're like nowadays, see how they hold up. I can't. There's none on the app. You can't buy them. There's nowhere. You can't play them. Unless you have an old device that already has them on there and you never uninstalled them, which is virtually impossible right this is the whole flappy bird scenario remember flappy bird was all the rage free to play game very addictive people loved it and then the original creator took it off the store and everyone tried to emulate it but couldn't get it right but the few phones that still had it downloaded they sold those phones for thousands of dollars for a fucking free to play game that was okay so i don't know why i'll look into it but infinity blade look it up there's still gameplay there's still photos of it go check it out it's a really cool game that was a gem for anyone who was able to play it when it was out there for like five years on the mobile app, in the mobile market. So that was a gem, and that was a standout. Clash Royale came out in 2016. That took the world by storm. Um, There's some other games from Supercell in between, but the game got three lanes, simple defense, card-based, kind of combination of a bunch of genres. Supercell does a great job with unique art design. 
very in-depth and creative gameplay mechanics that make every character or thing you use unique and worth trying to find or unlock or, or buy, unfortunately. <laughs> and, um, and they make the gameplay actually rewarding and challenging and fun, and they keep it scaled back, so the storage on your phone, it doesn't take up too much storage, doesn't burn a hole in your battery, and it's easy pick up and play. So they kind of perfected the formula in mobile games, and they're still doing it. And they're one of my favorite mobile game developers. The only thing I dislike is how egregious they are with microtransactions. They're some of the worst about it, even though they mean well. So it's unfortunate, but that's the case. We've had a bunch of mobile games since then. I started falling off playing mobile games in 2017 and 18, more and more. But, I, you know, I played it very heavily 2011 to 2015, 16-ish. Then I played heavily when Clash Royale came out, and then on and off. Plague Inc. was a big one. That was 99 cents, where you make the world sick. It's kind of fucked up now we think about it. But that surged in popularity when COVID was reaching the States. So, you know, these games are very powerful. They could teach. They can they can be very fun. They could be very uh, scammy. <laughs> they could be really shitty. Most of them are free to play. You can usually just try them. If you don't like them, you can delete them. That's why they are the way they are. They're the reason why video games in AAA spaces, actually full-design $60 games, tried that. They're like, well, wait, if they could do it, we could do it. Even though it's completely unfair because you paid $60 for that, you shouldn't have to pay more money for more content. Eventually they got caught, but it took three to four years, and that was detrimental. That corroded so much of what we love of the video game industry quickly. So the mobile space is in a very odd and unique place right now. Because we're seeing a resurgence of mobile gaming... With Apple Arcade and these things, Bloons, Tower Defense 6 is having updates. Everyone, if you're going to buy a game for like five bucks or more, that's the game to buy. It is one of the most fun and addicting and still has microtransactions in it, which is very unfortunate if you're paying five or ten bucks for it. I really wish there wasn't microtransactions, but oh well. It's really the only game I play now that's mobile. And it, you know, I have it on my PC, so... Uh, it's very fun. Highly recommend that one of all the ones you're going to get. Clash Royale 2 is good, but just be careful with that. Dungeon Boss, slept on. Check out Dungeon Boss. It's still there. It's super fun. I logged a lot of hours in that one. I, I dare say it's better than Clash Royale. Just not as popular. So check out Dungeon Boss while you can. That's a super fun turn-based, unique art, unique uh, heroes. You unlock them. It, it is such a unique game. And it took over my life in 2015, 14 and 15. Every day when I was on the bus going to school, listening to Marshall Mathers LP, 30-minute bus ride, I was playing Dungeon Boss at the same time. If I didn't have homework, I wasn't reading my book. So, that was cool. Um, that's a great one. Highly, highly slept on. I actually re-downloaded it, and then I forgot my login. <laughs> I gotta find it. So I have it written down somewhere. Because I restored... I, um, their companies changed, because I, I uninstall games, and I reinstall them, play, pick them up, and play them again, and the worst thing happened, I lost all my progress, and I spent microtransaction money on it over the years, and I play a lot in Dungeon Boss, and unlocked a lot, 
you know, just beat the main campaign and played on. I mean, I made a lot of progress in that game, and I really love that game. Lost all of it because the company's tra transferred over, and I said, "Could you guys restore?" They're like, "We can't fully restore your progress, but we can do is you can set up an account with us. It'll from this point on it'll be iCloud backup save as long as you, you know, sign in and all that. And then also, um, we can't if you can prove your purchases." And prove the heroes you have via screenshots. You're using your old code name, your old name maybe, your username, whatever. And the purchase receipts, then we could at least reimburse you for your purchases, the, the, the special currency, whatever. And if you could prove the X amount of heroes, we could at least uh, throw those in there too. This was in 2020. This was not too long ago. I played this game in 2015. I played it on and off throughout, and then I want to get back into it. So shout out to Boss Fights Games for that. That was incredible. I have an Instagram post. Maybe I archived it now, but of mentioning that, giving them a shout out, because that was one of the most incredible things a mobile gaming developer has ever done. Because I sent them. I found the receipts. That's the thing. I mean, I had to find them. It took me a minute, but I found them. They're in my Apple receipts. Found them. Found three separate purchases, all for varying prices, probably all totaling up in about 25 bucks over the course of five years, mind you, so it's not too bad. Um, they reimbursed all of that and then a little extra just for, sorry for the inconvenience, like 10% more than I actually paid for. And then they gave me a bunch of heroes that I had and then like one of the newer ones just for apologies. So now I have to find that account info and log in because I don't, if I lose that, then I'm really fucked. I, I can't prove that I, you know, that would be unfair. So, um, but that's a great game. Highly recommend checking that out. Some great people behind uh, working on that game. Um, I don't know if it's still getting updates. I think it is. I don't know how big the community is, but I hope it's... I wish it was as big as Clash Royale, honestly. So check that game out. Dungeon Boss. It's super fun. It's still out there, and it's worth every... every. It's worth a chance. Give it a shot. Um, so yeah. And the modern mobile gaming market is changing. We've got these free-to-play games still. We've got the classic franchises, you know... Supercell's making three new Clash Royale games, all these. But here's the change. Call of Duty Mobile came out in, what, 2019, 2018? That was... It's really good. <laughs> I was mentioning it earlier. It's fluid. It's super fun. It is one of the most fluid and responsive mobile games. It's a first-person shooter, and you could tell they put their money behind it because they redesigned it from the ground up, and it's got a mix of your favorite Black Ops maps and guns and a few other maps. Um, it's got events, you have your own progress, it's got all your favorite classic modes. If you have good internet, you're playing online pretty seamlessly. You can connect the Bluetooth controller. It is very fun, very fluid. There's microtransactions, but it's not necessary to play the game, and it's very fun to play the game. I played it pretty heavily for a while, and I got really good at it. I actually got better at that than I was at Call of, regular Call of Duty, other than Modern Warfare 2019. I'm good at that COD. Um, very fun, very well made, and I think that opened up the door because it's still very successful, it is profitable, a lot of people are playing it, that opened up the door to the idea that these big AAA games, if built from the ground up, not ported, there have been COD Zombies and other games for five bucks that were ported, no, this was built from the ground up, solely designed for mobile, using what we know as COD, using the COD format, that's why it worked. And it works beautifully. You know, PUBG and Fortnite were also scaled and redesigned for mobile. Genius. It works. It's great. 
some other games. Many games have been ported, but the thing is that doesn't work. It doesn't fit. It's like fitting a fat person in a small box. It, it doesn't work. You can't do it. I don't know why that came to mind. That was the first thing that popped up. I apologize. Anyway, um, no, you gotta you gotta make it from the ground up. It's more work, but it's worth it, and it's not as expensive, and it's not as much work as building a new AAA game. So, God decided to invest in that, and that was a smart move on their part because it's a well-made mobile game, and it's globally accessible. People who aren't allowed to play Call of Duty, who can't afford a console, but who do have a phone, can play and can play with friends across the world. So it's actually very unifying too, which is great. Um, this year, we're about to see a huge influx of those kinds of games because of COD, because of Fortnite. Right? This is the new modern push of making the games that we all play and love elsewhere accessible, fun, and playable on mobile. Actually playable. Not just like, oh, it kind of works for 30 minutes. No, no, no. I was amazed of how well COD Mobile works. Um... I, the only reason I delete it is because I'm so wary of my storage, even though I have plenty. I'm just weird about it. I'm like, it's two gigs. I can't do it. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot in that way. But and, and it chews your battery down. But it's really clever. It shows your battery, and it shows your Wi-Fi. And for like a month, I just play it in bed 20 minutes before I go to bed. I loved it. I might actually have to get it. I love mobile games, but I play them on and off. I only have two or three in rotation at a given point, and it's mostly therapy. It's just mostly interval gaming when I have... Um, 10, 20 minutes to spare. I don't play it for long. But sometimes I get hooked, and when I'm first playing a new game, I, it could be an hour or two where I'm just playing on that mobile game at night, usually. Sometimes during the day, but usually when I'm not doing anything, you know, and I'm trying it out for the first time. So the first month of playing COD Mobile, I probably logged, you know, total 10 hours in it. Um, so yeah. There's some other games I'm forgetting, but the new games that are coming out in this year, 2022 through 2023, are Rainbow Six Siege Mobile. That's kind of what inspired this whole podcast. I, I didn't even mention that, but holy fuck. <laughs> watch the trailer for that. If you're a Rainbow Six fan, definitely watch the trailer. If you're not, watch the trailer anyway. If, you're, if you've made it this far, which thank you if you have. It's, um, that game, that game is... Yeah, they can't do crossplay between PC and Xbox, but sure, they, you know, fuck it, they can do... They can't get cross-progression, but they can make it into a mobile game. Fine. Um, it looks really good. Like, they built it from the ground up. It's scaled back. It's not as intricate. Graphics aren't as good, of course, right? It's on mobile. The hardware is limiting. But for the hardware, couldn't have been made in another time. It looks like it's Rainbow Six Siege gameplay. It's some same maps, a lot of the same operators being built from the ground up. It's going to be free to play, of course. Probably a shit ton of microtransactions. It looks really good, and I hope to God Ubisoft, Ubisoft, however you say it, knows what they're doing enough to know that they just need to copy what COD Mobile did, because COD Mobile, for all the shit it may have, is well made. It does choose for your battery, but not as bad as it could. It does take up storage. I bet you it could be five times bigger than it actually is. Um, which is unique, because COD games usually take up storage anyway. And it plays buttery smooth. It plays so fucking efficiently on a phone, on an iPad. It's, it's incredible. It really is. So, with a few more years of advancement in mobile gaming market, right, because COD Mobile came out 2019, I think, maybe 2020, 
So a year to two years of better phones, better hardware, and more time to see where they went wrong in playing and testing and building. Rainbow Six Mobile, I'm hoping to God, is as good in gameplay relative to Rainbow Six's style of gameplay, but works as well as COD Mobile does. I don't want frame stuttering. I don't want my phone to feel like it's going to catch fire, which it still will regardless, but I don't want it to feel like that immediately. You know what I mean? Make it fun, make it accessible, and make it light on the phone. It's a bite size of the game. And make it its own thing. Don't make it so dependent on microtransactions. It, it's got so much potential. It's got so much potential, and it's free to play, and it can get people into Rainbow Six and then make them want to get it elsewhere. And Rainbow Six is a great game. I would never want that game to be mobile. In reality, it's a tactical strategy game. I don't think it fits in the mobile genre, but I'll be damned if I'm not going to say I'm not interested in it. I definitely am. I'm a Rainbow Six fan, so I'm definitely keeping an eye out Rainbow Six Mobile. I, I want to see what it's like. If it's great, I, I'd be so happy. So that's one. Apex Legends works beautifully. It is being scaled in and rebuilt and to fit mobile. And it's been through tests and betas, and I've seen and heard of it. And it looks like it's doing well. It looks like it's going to be real fun. And it's coming out this year, too. So Apex Legends on mobile is going to be great. I, I don't doubt that. It's going to be another solid. You know, we're getting high graphics, high gameplay in depth for free. And the microtransactions are there, but they're not like Clash Royale, Clash of Clans. They're mostly going to be maybe cosmetic, maybe progression, but most of us have the full games elsewhere. So this is the bite size in between, and maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it's just trial. I've never felt the need to buy microtransactions in COD or anywhere else. Mobile games. Hardly in the AAA game space, but mobile games, so we'll see. There's a bunch of others. I think uh, Battlefield's going to try one. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully it, it works, I guess. Um, a handful of others. We're seeing a spring up of this, and it's very interesting. So I only hope the best for the mobile gaming market in two things. That A, it becomes even more accessible, more fun to play, and less less intense on hardware. And B, uh, while, it sh while it's going to have microtransactions because they're free to play, I understand, I hope it's not so egregious to the point where it halts the general fluidity of everyone playing. So we're at an interesting time for games, and I hope that mobile gaming market only strives to improve itself and change the mold, and even though it's not as big or I don't think as, you know, should be as relevant and it shouldn't make as much money as it does, it's still an important facet. There are still people making these great games, still artists and, and companies and people trying to make their art in the mobile format for us all to consume, and I think it's only fair we give it that attention and understand the history so thank you all for coming by i appreciate the support and until next time